so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Um, so we're starting a, a new series this morning uh, called The Passion of Christ or The Passion of Jesus, uh, not according to Mel Gibson, uh, but according to John. Um, and so... Uh, this word, the passion, uh, originally comes from a Latin word which, which uh, talks about the suffering, uh, the arrest, the trial and suffering of Jesus. And we're going to add into this series uh, the resurrection narrative as well. And so before it was a movie, and that's why the movie has that title, it was about this last segment of Jesus' life on earth um, as he was arrested as he was tried, as he was um, tortured, as he was crucified, and as he rose again. Uh, and so uh, you may ask, why start, a, why start a series in John 14? Why start in the middle? It's like kind of uh, looking on your Netflix or other streaming service and finding a, a TV series and go, let's start at season four. Like, I'm sure there's nothing of interest in season one, two, and three. Uh, the reason for this is very simple. You may remember we did the first 13 chapters of John last year as a church. And so if you've joined us since then, you can filter back through the YouTube archives or the podcast archives um, and, and find the first 13 chapters of John. <clears throat> um, and so for this series, we're joining in at John 14. We join the, see- the scene as Jesus is sharing his last meal with his disciples. This is, in essence, the, the dialogue uh, that Jesus shares with his disciples uh, on the night he was betrayed. Uh, the other Gospels give us, uh, I guess, a more detailed account of the actions of that night, but John gives us more the conversation and the prayers that Jesus shared with his disciples that night. And so we join at John 14 as he's sharing that meal. In, in John 13, Jesus, we're told, showed the disciples, the extent of his love by serving them in the act of washing their feet. Uh, He showed them how much he loved them in these last moments they had together before he was whisked away to be crucified. They've been warned in these last moments that Jesus is leaving them, that he's going to depart, that he's going to be away from them. They've also been warned uh, of their own betrayal of him, They've also been warned that they will all scatter and, and it's in this moment that John, uh, that, sorry, that Peter's kind of like, well, not me, God, I'll stick with you to the end, Jesus. And Peter gets this very specific warning of his betrayal, that before the rooster crows three times, you will have betrayed me. Before the rooster crows, you'll have betrayed me three times. And so, in a sense, the disciples are off the map here. They're headed into uncharted territory. The one who has led them, who's taught them, who's guided them, who's shown them miraculous signs and wonders, uh, who who has been the the focal point of their life for the last three years, is leaving. The one who's turned their world upside down is leaving them there. The one who has led them off the map of their own expectations of life their own expectations of who the Messiah would be, their own expectations of absolutely everything they ever expected, the one who's led them off the map is now leaving them there, way off the map. 
And so I wonder, as, as we jump into the story at this point, does anyone have that feeling? Has anyone felt like they've been led off the map into uncharted territory this year? Maybe that is a COVID thing, but I don't want to just think about COVID and I don't want to think about it at all sometimes, but, but, but that's impacted our lives. We are in uncharted territory there, but, but maybe it's, it's something completely unrelated to that. Have, have you felt like you've been led off the map into uncharted territory and you're not sure which way to turn now? Jesus bookends this segment of this conversation he has with his disciples with this phrase. To those that are off the map and kind of, I imagine, very visibly troubled by the words Jesus is sharing with them. In verse 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. But then towards the end of the chapter, beyond what I had Jeanette read for us this morning, in verse 27, he says again, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so there's this bookend of that phrase, do not let your hearts be troubled. Those are Jesus' words to this group of people that are in the midst of probably the most troubling moment of their life to this point. Where they've followed this man who is now saying, I'm leaving, you're all going to betray me. But do not let your hearts be troubled. When we find in Scripture kind of repeated phrases like this, specifically when they form a sandwich around a section, it gives an indication that the whole point is around those things. This whole passage is around Jesus' disciples, of whom we are now part of, not allowing our hearts to be troubled when we're led off the map and don't know which way to turn. And so that's the core thing. If you're going to grab anything from it this, this morning's reflection on this passage, is this, in Jesus, do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus, in the rest of this chapter, essentially gives guidance to how his disciples might live that out. They might be off the map, but Jesus doesn't live, leave them without any guidance. And, and so this morning we're going to reflect on, well, what is that guidance? And it's three key words <clears throat> that I want us to think about when we think about not letting our hearts be troubled. The first is to believe. The second is to obey. And the third is to listen, to believe, to obey and to listen. At the beginning of this chapter, after those words, do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says in verse 1 still, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, I was lazy and I didn't do a count of how many times believe is said in this chapter. Um, Try not to get distracted during the sermon about that, but you can go home and take that as homework. But rest assured, believe shows up over and over again throughout this whole chapter. Believe is something that Jesus wants his disciples to do. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So Jesus says to this group of of essentially faithful Jews, you believe in God, now put that same belief in me. But this isn't just a belief that he exists. 
He's not just saying, believe that I exist because he's right there in front of them. He's saying, believe in me. Believe that though I say I'm leaving you, it's not an abandonment. I'm not just fleeing the scene when things get difficult. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, but to believe that he has a place for you. That for us, this side of Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension to heaven, that that place has already been prepared. That, that he went to the cross to pay for our sins. He, he rose from the dead to conquer death once and for all. And in doing so, prepared a place for us in the Father's house because we know that because of our sin, there was no place for us in heaven prior to Jesus going to the cross and his resurrection. And so Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in him. Though it would have been nice to have him stick around forever to personally guide us through life. He's gone because he's gone to prepare a place for us. And if he's gone to prepare a place for us, he's going to come back and get us and take us there. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe that Jesus has accomplished us for this on our behalf. It feels like I've kind of repeated, repeated this idea a lot lately, but, but when we're in troubled times, when we're in uncertain times, one of the things we need to do is, is shift our eyes off the immediate present and believe in that end moment. Believe that all things are moving towards that promised future in which we will be in the Father's house in His manifest and glorious presence. And when we focus on that place, it's much easier to not let our hearts be troubled when we believe not just that he exists, but that when we believe in him. But that's not where belief ends for Jesus in this passage. If we jump down to verse 5 and 6, after Jesus has said, you know the way to the place I'm going, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? It's almost like Thomas is kind of like, did I miss a meeting? Because uh, you're telling us that we know how to get there, but I don't know where you're going, so I don't know how to get there. Was there a staff meeting that I missed? But Jesus isn't saying that you've got a map. He's not saying that I've given you directions. He's saying, you know me. And so you know the way. He goes on. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so Jesus isn't saying that you've got the instructions of how to get there. He's saying that you know me and that I am the way. And so if you know me, you know the way. <clears throat> Jesus is the way to the Father's house. And it's important that Jesus didn't give us directions here because he doesn't just show us the way. He doesn't blaze a trail that leads the way. He is the way. We enter through belief in him. That's why Jesus is, is so focused on belief here because belief in him is how we enter through. He says, no one get, comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. Belief is how we get there. 
And so when we're off the map, we cling to this belief. But belief isn't just about our ultimate destiny or how to get there. Belief is about this life. Jesus goes on in verses 11 and 14 to jump down again. He says again, believe, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And so Jesus draws us constantly towards belief about our ultimate destiny in him, but he, but he wants us to believe for now as well. The power of belief is for this life. So to believe is to believe in the power of his name. This is one of those kind of stretching passages where Jesus says he will do greater works. The one who believes in him will do greater works than he himself did. There's lots of kind of explanations that have been offered for this about, well, maybe it's more because there's more people doing more works and Jesus was one <clears throat> person um, there's, there's other things that kind of like, well, maybe it's greater because the salvation of a single soul you know, is greater than you know, a healing miracle. But, but all of these kind of, though may be true in some sense, are sidestepping the straightforwardness of what Jesus is saying. Those who believe in me will do greater works because I go to the Father. And that's the key part. See, Jesus did all of his works pre-death and resurrection. He, he, in his death and resurrection, ushered in a new era. He broke history in half. And so the works we do, we do in the power of the name of Jesus who has conquered death. The works we do, we do in the, the power of the, the Holy Spirit unrestrained. It's a stretching thing to believe but my encouragement for us and for me is to not reduce the power of the name of Jesus, the power of belief in him, the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives down to the level of our experience, but to seek that our level of experience in the power of God and our belief in him would raise to what Jesus said. To be aware of the gap between experience and fullness of belief but to not explain it away. <clears throat> Jesus says, we'll do the works that I have done and greater. Whatever we ask in his name. Uh, so if we want an example of what Jesus did, then, well, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He opened the eyes of the blind. He set the captives free from sin. He, he cleansed those of leprosy. He spoke the good news and people received it. Faith isn't just about believing in Jesus. It's believing Jesus. And I think that's for many of us where the tension comes in our faith. Yes, we believe in Jesus, but the tension comes at fully believing him when it comes to things like this. And so when we're off the map, Jesus urges us to believe, but not just to believe in him, to believe 
that he's prepared a place to, for us, to believe that he is the way there, to believe that his name has power to impact the world that we live in right now. And so Jesus says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled, believe. And he also encourages us to obey. Obedience is is another key word in this uh, chapter from John. Believe appears many times, but this word obey or obedience shows up many times as well. In in verse 15, so we're moving beyond what Jeanette read for us now, says, if you love me, keep my commands. In verse 21, he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So obviously the word obey is not mentioned there, but it's all about obedience. In verse 23 to 24, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who has sent me. That's Jesus' example of saying, well, I'm obeying the Father, and likewise you obey me. So Jesus says, point blank, bluntly, those who love him will obey his commands. Now, this is not about following a legal code to win acceptance, to win approval, and to win love from God. As humans, as as fallen humans, we seem prone to uh, legalities and religiosity. And so when we hear the word obey, we jump into, okay, what must I do to please God? What must I do to win acceptance and approval and win my way to the Father's house? We're back on our our checklist. But, But importantly here, that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. See, John 14 comes after John 13. John 13 was about Jesus showing his disciples, showing you and I the extent of his love already freely given. John 14 comes before John 15, where Jesus once again talks about loving us with the same love that the Father has for him. The the thing we need to grasp as those who seek to follow Jesus is that Jesus loves us full stop. There's nothing we can do to increase or decrease the level of his love for us. What he's saying is that if we love him, then we'll obey his commands. It's not about winning love, it's about responding in love. If we think of it another way, Jesus taught his followers what was important to him. Jesus taught his followers what he valued, what he would like them to do, what he would like to see happen. He taught them the things that were important to him. And and so if we love him, we'll value that as well. We demonstrate our love for him through obeying his commands, through obeying the things that he asked us to do. Just as one way a child can show love for their parents is by doing the things they've asked to do. Just as a a spouse can show love to uh, their spouse or a friend can show love to a friend, a brother to a sister, a sister to a brother, sister to sister, all of that. Just as we can show love to one another by valuing the things that are stated as important to one another, 
Obviously, it's different levels of authority and all of those are relationships, but the point is, if someone has shared with us, this is important to me, then we demonstrate love to them by showing that it's important to us as well. Of course, with Jesus as Lord of all creation, his commands take a little bit of extra weight, to put it mildly. But the same reality is true. He's freely shared with us what's important to him and we show our love to him by obeying. Sometimes I pray, and I'm sure you do, God, show me what to do. And there's a particular a few areas of my life at the moment where that says, God, I just want you to show me what to do. You know, a burning bush that's not being consumed and your voice speaks clearly to me about it, what, what, what I'm meant to do, that would be helpful right now. And that's not wrong to play, pray. I encourage you to pray. But when we pray like that, we need to be careful not to ignore what he's already told us. For example, let your yes be yes. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Seek first his kingdom. Put others first. Go make disciples. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Don't worry about tomorrow. Love one another as I have loved you. See, it's okay to ask direction from God. We should do that. We should seek to be guided by the presence of the Holy Spirit, but, but we shouldn't forget what he's already told us to do. Because this is what's important to Jesus. If we love him, it will be important to us too. And so when we're off the map and we don't know what to do, we, we first believe in Jesus, but we also faithfully obey Jesus. We might not have the answer to the big picture questions or what we think of as the big picture questions, but Jesus has given us some pretty detailed instructions that we can get to work on. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Obey Jesus. Believe, obey, and listen. Listen doesn't actually appear in this passage at all. I'm throwing it in there. But it's about who are we listening to. In verse 15, to go back to there, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And then he goes on in verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And so Jesus is saying, he's leaving, but God is not. And if God's not leaving, Jesus isn't really leaving either. His followers are not going to be left as orphans. <clears throat> because Jesus leaving initiates the sending of the Holy Spirit, that, that day that we see manifest on the day of Pentecost and subsequently following that. Jesus says we won't be left without a guide. 
Yes, he's bodily leaving, but, but the Father's going to send the Spirit, which he describes as the Spirit of truth. And so the, the thing here is, if you're like me, sometimes you've wished that, oh, wouldn't it have been great to have seen Jesus in his earthly ministry and to be, to be present uh, with him? <clears throat> but the thing is that in this era that we live in, and the disciples got to live in both of those, so they are a bit spoiled, but they also mostly got uh, executed for their faith. So The thing is, though, that in this shift, God is no longer just with us, but he's in us. Jesus is not just beside us, but he is inside us with the Trinity. He says, the, the spirit of truth is going to come and be in you. And then you'll know that the Father is in me and that I'm in you. And so through the Holy Spirit, we have the indwelling presence of the Trinitarian God to get a little bit theologically minded in my speak. That Jesus describes this as a greater moment to live in. He goes on, if we jump across a few verses to verse 25 and 26, he says, All this I've spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And so in a few chapters' time, in, in John chapter 16, we'll, we'll dig a bit more into the work of the Holy Spirit. But, but Jesus gives us a lot to go on here, a lot to, to, to understand about who it is that we're called to listen to. He says the Holy Spirit is an advocate. That, that's one who contends for us. But, but the Greek word is parakletos, um, which is such... A rich word and, and if you flip through a whole bunch of different translations you'll see what's translated here in the NIV as advocate translated a whole bunch of different ways because it's such a rich word filled with such meaning. <clears throat> um, I haven't read it in the um, what's it called of mental blank that expanded at the amplifier but I'm sure it throws if you've got an amplifier on your phone have a look at it because I'm sure it throws a whole ton of words at what's translated here as advocate because it also means helper um, a little side note if you are offended by the fact that God would describe Eve as Adam's helper it's the same word here if you take the Greek version of the Old Testament here it's the same word and so if Eve is less than Adam in being a helper, then we have to say that the Holy Spirit is less than the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and then we're very much in her heresy territory. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is our helper. Uh, the, another way we could translate this is counsellor. Another way, comforter. Another way, intercessor. Uh, in literal terms, it means one who comes alongside, uh, like a lawyer, in a sense, coming alongside, arguing our case. The parakletos is such a, a rich word that describes who we now have with us, even though we might feel completely off the map without guidance, well, we've actually got such a rich guide in the Holy Spirit to listen to. Jesus goes on to say that the Spirit will teach us all things. So we're a bit confused about what to do, where to go, how to live out this faith. Well, yes, we believe, yes, we obey, but we listen. The Holy Spirit is with us to teach us all things 
to guide us in truth. And the Holy Spirit's also with us to remind us, Jesus says. He will remind us of all I've taught for you. Who's been to like the doctor? I know some here have been to the doctor and, and, and they've told you a whole bunch of stuff and because it's such a, an emotionally charged moment, they may have been giving you significant news that you go home and you're like, I can't really... I remember like two or three words of what the doctor said. Who, who's had that experience? Anyone? Yeah. Well, I imagine this experience was a little bit like that for the disciples. They were like, oh, Jesus is saying things, but I'm just focused on like he's leaving and I can't grab it all and I know it's important and I want to remember it, but I, but I can't really think about what he's saying. Well, Jesus is saying, you don't need to worry. I've told you this while I'm with you. I'm seeking to, to give you peace in doing that. But the Holy Spirit will guide you in truth. The Holy Spirit will remind you of all the things I've said. And so we might be, you know, not having this experience with Jesus here, but we might be having these kind of anxious moments in our life where it's like, I don't know what to do. And I'm trying to, trying to oh, what was that thing that God said or that was in that sermon six weeks ago? And we can just take a breath. Because it's the Holy Spirit's job to remind us of the things that Jesus said. If we just pause and listen. I would encourage you, the more that you dwell in the things of Jesus said, the Scriptures, then uh, the more there is for the Holy Spirit to remind you of in the situation that you're in. But the Holy Spirit's there for us to listen to. It also tells us that the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you something contrary to what Jesus has taught. Sometimes it might be contrary to our own understanding of what Jesus has taught but it's not going to be contrary to what Jesus has taught. <clears throat> and so Jesus has bodily left the scene. Well, he will bodily leave the scene from his disciples, but he's not going to leave them alone. Uh, they are headed off the map without a physical guide with them, but they're not left without a guide. And so what do we do when we're off the map? Then, well, we believe, we obey, and we listen to the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Listen. The disciples were plunged into this moment of uncertainty. Our moment of uncertainty might be very different we might think, oh, it's nothing compared to that, and on some levels, of course it is, but, but it's the moment that we live in. And so I believe that through John 14, Jesus is saying to us in this moment, do not let your hearts be troubled. He doesn't condemn the disciples for their anxious thoughts. In other spaces, he talks about, oh, you of little faith. And things like that. Here he, he bluntly tells them they're all going to run away. And in that moment, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. So some of us might be thinking, oh, I've already failed. I didn't believe, I didn't obey, and I've certainly not listened. And then I've, I've totally abandoned Jesus. 
I think Jesus would still say, as he still said to Judas and to Peter and the others, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe, not just in me, but believe me. Obey, if you're not sure what to do, if you're not sure what choices to make, then, then centre yourself on obeying the things that you know that Jesus has already said. And listen, you're not without the presence of God just because Jesus isn't physically in the room. He is so much in the room. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe, obey, and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, as we so often do, we find wisdom in the words of a man who was worried about his son who'd brought him to the disciples for healing and hadn't found it and then brought him to your son, Jesus. Father, we believe. Please help us in our unbelief. Father, we find wisdom in the thoughts of Paul expressed in Romans. We want to obey, but yet we seem to do the things that we don't want to do in disobedience to you. But thanks be to Jesus Christ who sets us free from sin. So in Jesus, help us to obey the things he's asked us to value as important. And Father, we are so often troubled and churning on anxious thoughts that we don't stop and simply listen. So help us to pause and to listen. Be it a still small voice, be it a roaring thunder. Help us to listen. And so that's what we do now. We take a sealer as Ali and James and Helena play, as they remind us of the things that we believe in song, we, we take a moment to listen, Holy Spirit, to you. Speak what you want us to hear, Holy Spirit, and help us to listen. Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.